There's nothing new about energy price crises. We've had lots in the past, and usually they're caused by some external shock. Now, there are quite a lot of people who think that uh, this energy price crisis is caused also by external shocks, and they're partly right. Uh, what the Russians are up to and what's been going on in the world economy and Southeast Asia has undoubtedly had an impact on global gas prices. But it's important not to miss what's really going on underneath this, which is there's also a homegrown energy price crisis caused by stuff that's in our control, and in particular, by the way we're going about net zero. Now, net zero is a good thing to do, but it's important to realise that it's not costless, and the way it's being pursued has induced what I regard as the first net zero energy prices crisis. There are two big reasons why net zero or the transition to net zero has contributed to this energy prices crisis. They are the intermittency of the renewables and the legacy costs of largely the renewables but also a number of other technologies. Let's just have a look at these, because both of these problems are going to get worse before they get better. And by the way, both of these problems were addressed head on in the cost of energy review, which I carried out for the government back in 2017. So the characteristic of renewables is that they are low density and intermittent. So we have lots of individual wind turbines, uh, wind farms distributed around the country. Each turbine doesn't have much capacity and they work when the wind blows. And when the wind doesn't blow, some kind of backup is always required. Nothing new about that. Nothing surprising about that. But you might think that uh, in a situation in which the government plans to have 40 gigawatts of offshore wind by 235 and expects by 235, that's just 13 years from now, that the electricity system is going to be completely decarbonized. You, you might expect that some thought had been given to how the energy system itself should adjust and adapt and be reformed to be able to cope with that level of intermittency. It was okay when there was just some wind on the system because the rest of the system could cope. But rightly, the coal has largely gone. And uh, whether we like it or not, from a carbon perspective, the only really significant source of backup to the renewables is gas. And that means that when a gas price increase happens, in this case globally, we are in the UK especially exposed to that and it's made all the worse because we've given up on storing any gas on the belief that we have multiple sources of physical gas supply. That's true, we do have. We have LNG, we have pipelines from Norway, we have connections to Europe. There's plenty of physical lines of connection, but what's been an unpalatable and unpleasant truth for the government to discover is that 
you can only have that LNG if you can outbid the prices that China and the Far East are paying. Security supply always has a cost associated with it, and uh, there's always secure supply if you're prepared to pay enough. Unfortunately, it's the consumers that are going to pay that. So how do we address this intermittency problem from wind? The answer is that we need backups and backup technologies. And in the long run, we may well end up with batteries and uh, smart uh, demand side active measures behind smart meters when it, and if we ever get them all installed at reasonable cost. Uh, and we might have a host of other technologies too. Who knows, even hydrogen may play some part in that. But in the meantime, it's gas, or largely gas. And the problems for gas are actually very serious because when you have a lot of wind on the system, when the wind is blowing, the price can be zero because, of course, the wind is zero marginal cost. But when there's not much wind, the price can be fantastically high. Try being an investor in a new gas station faced with that kind of volatility and those periods of very low cost. It's a big ask and you need some kind of reserve or capacity security arrangement to make that possible. So that's pretty difficult. But that is only one dimension of the gas problem, because the other one is that if we are to be net zero for the electricity as a whole in just 13 years, then nearly all of that gas will have to be backed up by carbon capture and storage, CCS. And the remarkable thing about CCS is not only is there no major pro project in the world currently up and running, but that the policy framework, the regulation, the securities around it, the way the pipelines operate, all of that stuff has yet to be put in place. And the Treasury has managed to, for the last 14 years, hold off paying a promised 1 billion subsidy to help develop that CCS. It's an incredibly tall order to think that we're going to have all that CCS in place by 235. But if we were, the price of that gas is going to be significantly higher than it currently is. So we need a plan to deal with gas and we need a plan to deal with intermittency. Not rocket science, but just sticking one's head in the sand and pretending it's all going to be fine or that market forces are going to sort it out when we're not prepared to have proper carbon taxation is just, well, wishful thinking at best. But that's only one of the difficulties. The other difficulty comes from the legacy costs of renewables, which uh, this particular crisis has at least brought to the wider public attention. You know, you might be paying nearly 25% of your electricity bill in legacy costs for all those subsidies that provided, uh, particularly to the renewables in the past, on the argument that spending all that money would produce cost reductions, which were worth more than the subsidies that were made in the first place. Now, let's put that argument aside. Uh, actually, it's a serious one, but, but let's put it aside and let's look at uh, the question of what those legacy subsidies mean and what they mean to your bills. So in a normal competitive market, you can't charge whatever it cost in the past to produce something now, you have to charge 
what is the competitive price on the basis of the latest vintage of technologies. So we have this paradox. It is true that the costs of renewables before intermittency is falling and has fallen a lot. Great. Okay. Why then are we paying a higher price now than we were in the past for something that's cheaper now than it was in the past? This is fairly crazy. And the right thing to do with the legacy costs is to socialise them. That's what I proposed in the Cost of Energy Review. And if we socialise these costs, that would make a dent in electricity bills and would start to show consumers that the route to renewables in the longer term is going to be one that will have some falling costs of technology from which they should benefit. So we should socialise the renewables costs. And that would take quite a lot out of current bills. What we shouldn't do is cut that and reduce taxation on energy because that taxation on energy is not anywhere near the true costs of the environmental pollution that our consumption of that energy is causing. If we were to say, look, let's uh, address that question by having a comprehensive carbon price and applying it to heating, transport and uh, to agriculture, as well as electricity, and do it on the basis of the true costs and the pathway required to get to net zero, then fine. But that's not what's being proposed. What's being proposed is just pay less for energy. And uh, that is one of those pieces of sticky plaster, changing the VAT rate, which will do very little good in the long run. In fact, it may do damage. And in the meantime, as a piece of sticky plaster, the trouble is that it will only mask problems for a short while before we're forced back onto the substantive question of how to reform the energy system to make it fit for the 21st century, to make it fit for the net zero transition, and uh, to put in place an energy market which takes capacity seriously, takes intermittency seriously, and uh, is capable with some serious plan of how to get from here to there to at least make a start on trying to achieve the 235 target. That was all set out in the Cost of Energy Review. It's, of course, up to the government not to implement the recommendations that I made at the time. That's their prerogative. Advisors advise, governments decide. But what they can't abolish by not making the reforms is the consequence of not doing so. And what we have in this first net zero energy prices crisis is a public and clear demonstration of what happens if you don't have a proper energy policy and you don't back up the great ambitions, all the hype that was set out at uh, COP26 with actual measures on the ground to get us from here to there, to deal with the intermittency, to address the uh, urgent need to get CCS up and running and to make sure that we take seriously having secure gas supplies. And yes, that means storage. And yes, that means paying for keeping that reserve capacity in place for when the wind doesn't blow. Again, none of this is rocket science. It's in the cost of energy review. And my advice to government is it would be best to get on with the reforms 
and put them in a serious energy bill this year, rather than a hope that they'll all go away and will return to, quote, normalcy again, and the energy price crisis will just slip into history. No, this is the first net zero energy prices crisis. It's a wake-up call, and it would be better if government did something now rather than later, because the costs of not acting on the fundamentals of this energy prices crisis will come back and haunt them later. Thank you.